What's up, y'all? It's Shanisha, and we're back for another episode of Real Talk Tuesdays. And for this episode, I think it's a little bit personal for me. And I say that as working as a woman, right? And then working as a woman in corporate, working as a woman in corporate who is a colored woman, black and brown, black or brown. Um, this one hits home as a little personal because for me, showing up every day as you, to be honest, maybe it's not just as true. Showing up as you, because when we think about showing up as you and who you are and all your fullness, right? That includes your, you know, your tone, uh, your skin tone, your tone of your voice, your facial expressions, how you wear your hair, what you wear, your nails, everything mattered and comes into account, right? And even for um, someone like me with a name of what, like nine letters, right? <laughs> Uh, an urban name, right? As beautiful as it is. Uh, but there's a lot that goes into that is showing up as yourself and showing up as your full self when you go into the workplace. I'm not sure how many of you may contemplate what hairstyle or what color or design that you're going to get your nails when you go to work. What can you say in meetings? What can you not say? If you don't say anything, how is that taken? Um, there's a lot. Sometimes even our silence can be perceived as uh, something confrontational. Uh, so, so this episode is a little bit important to me or more personal to me because I think we really took a dive into showing up as you. And I'm excited for you guys to listen in. And I would encourage you as much as you can allow yourself to show up as you, unapologetically you, embrace who you are, embrace your name, embrace everything that you bring to the table, embrace those degrees or all the debt that may have come along with it. <laughs> uh, embrace everything about you um, when you go into the workplace. So if you're listening to this while you know you're on your lunch break or driving into work, like let's have a real conversation and just be genuinely honest about where we are as women of color in the workplace and where we have come from, where we are going and the strides that we can take and hold nothing back, hold nothing back. Um, I hope that when you hear this, you hear this with an open heart, open mind and that you definitely can relate. Um, Cause I know for many of us, we have to work twice as hard to be considered half as good. And I'm telling you now that you're more been good. So uh, let's get into this episode. What's up, everyone? This is Shanisha from Living Corporate. I'm super excited today about our guest in our show title. Uh, I think this conversation, as I just mentioned to our guest, isn't had enough internally uh, for many of our organizations. Of course, we're having it externally on many multimedia platforms, but I'm excited that Living Corporate is having this conversation today. We're discussing women of color showing up as you in all of your glory, right? So our guest is a former senior executive and a corporate inclusive visionary. She challenges and redefines the status quo of leadership, success, and power by centering the experiences of women of color. As a senior partner at Deloitte, our guest spent more than 20 years helping clients grow. She was also the US managing partner of WIN, 
Deloitte's renowned women's initiative and was the first Indian American woman and one of the youngest people to make partner in the firm's history. She did great things, guys. In 2020, she left Deloitte to co-found Information, a membership-based community for professional women of color. She's an executive fellow at Harvard Business School and a board member of Advarsara, India's first leadership academy for girls. The first, the few, the only, how women of color can be redefined power in corporate America's, our guest, that's her debut book, was published by HarperCollins in 2022 to international acclaim. She also has been featured on TED Talks. She's a speaker, has been featured in Forbes, Wall Street, Fortune, Financial Times, Harvard Business Review. Her TED Talk has almost 3 million views, guys, so you got to check her out. So I'd like to welcome our guest, the only... Deepa Prashadaman. Deepa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you've done such amazing things. And guys, her bio, I mean, the true essence of who she is, I think you guys will get a little bit of that today. And of course, on TED Talk as well, on YouTube, I've been stalking her out. <laughs> she's, been, she's been amazing, right? I'm definitely a fan. So Deepa, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's finally nice and sunny in Los Angeles. So yes. I'm happy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So um, let's just dive right in. Uh, what prompted the focus of centering of women's, the experiences of women of color? What prompted that focus? Yeah, I think it was two things. I think it was one, my own experience, right? A lot of what you write in the bio being kind of an only and navigating spaces that were predominantly white, you know, growing up, going to the schools that I went to and then entering corporate America and not necessarily always seeing leadership models that look like me. I don't think I knew it at the time, but because I didn't see it, I think I was always trying to figure out, so how do I show up? What do I look like? How do I give feedback? How do I lead? And so that was my own set of issues. But then as I got more senior, I had more women approaching me saying like, how do you do it? And what are the questions? And then the, the longer story, very short is I started, I decided I wanted to leave and we can get into that. A lot of it was related to health reasons and other things like on the road. And when I decided I wanted to leave, I started meeting with women of color to figure out like, what do I want to do next after 20 years in one company? And it turned into a series of dinners where I met with 300 of the most senior women of color in, cor you know, in corporate America, basically across the country. And in these dinners, I thought I'm going to hear like one or two things that'll be interesting. I'm going to figure out what industry I go to. Instead, we'd be in rooms for six, seven, eight hours, like sharing stories and trading secrets. Because I think there was such a shared experience for women of color, regardless of industry and sector. And I think, like you said, five years ago now, when we were doing those talks, no one talked about these things. So it was one of the first times these really senior women would look at each other and say, like, I had this microaggression happen and like 12 women in the room would say, me too. You know, it was just really fascinating. And so it came out of those, my own personal experience, but just the volume of stories as a result of me trying to figure out how do I leave this big job and what am I doing now? I think that's so, so major and so important. You touched on so many different things, like I'm just conversation, <laughs> right? So it's like the microaggressions that happen at work and then being able to have a safe haven to yeah. share what those experiences are. Because as you mentioned, sometimes you just may be the only person yep. in your room, all right? Or even in your business unit, you could be the only woman of color. And it's like, okay, well, how do I navigate this space where I'm still showing up as me, but then yep. also representing women like me in case there was to be more, you know, new hires, people onboarding or wanting to join the organization. Like, how do I continue to show up as myself and continue to keep the true essence of myself, but represent other women like me 
And then how do I manage those microaggressions, right? To have yeah, that, that mental clarity once you leave work, because at the end of the day, once you experience that microaggression or whatever that experience is, you still have to perform, mm -hmm. right? Like it never happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know I mentioned um, in your bio about information. Could you share with us about your previous experience with information? Mm -hmm. I know currently there is it's transitioning out. Yeah, yeah. It's been, yeah. It's been a great mm -hmm. three years. Information came out of those dinners that I mentioned. So my business partner at the time, she was my coach. We did these 12 dinners across the country, met these 300 women. We would end the dinners, literally getting pushed out of the spaces because it's now two and three o'clock in the morning. And the women would say, this was the best conversation I've ever had, right? The best kind of group. And it was just casual dinner because we didn't have an agenda at the time. Um, and when are you coming back? And information was born out of those conversations. How do we create discussions like this for so many of us who are first and onlys, first fuse and onlys, right? It's what became the book. But at the time, this was pre-COVID, right? So, you know, it was, it was an interesting time and then COVID happened. And so we tried to envision what could this become, you know, online. And so the information became an online community, an online platform where women of color came together. I remember we got together right after George Floyd's murder for the first time. We hadn't even like announced we were going to be a company. And it was, I think, four days after his murder. And a lot of the women on our first call said their companies didn't even acknowledge what was happening in the world, right? And so we spent almost two hours and there were lots of tears and lots of conversation. And so we just knew we needed to hold space. Like there was something starting to emerge about talking about how our experiences are different. You know, you kind of hit on it in the first question. I think for a lot of us, we've been just told, you know, just heads down and just kind of put up with it or tolerate it or, this is just the cost of doing business. And I think what we are, the moment that we're in is like, there's more stories coming out, there's more conversation. And what I like to say is there is something happening to first views and onlys where we talk about their trailblazing and their positive stories. We don't talk about the shadow side, like the negative, the challenges. And if we don't talk about those, we can't change it. And I think that's the moment we're in. Like we're unpacking how pervasive the challenges are. And I don't think there's been history or space to talk about that. So information became a place where women of color could come together. If you identified as a woman of color, you were invited in and we did that for three years. It was really amazing. I think during COVID, especially women needed that space. Mm -hmm. And just as women are returning to work, my business partner and I had some honest conversations because it felt like it was harder for women to show up on Wednesday afternoons. And so we just pivoted. So we're both going to work on women of color topics, but just in different containers, just the online. We're going to have to rethink the business model again. But it's been an amazing three years. We did amazing research focused on women of color with Billie Jean King and her leadership initiative. The TED Talk came out of that. We held space for you know safe space conversations and also just really pushed some companies on like, how do you want to think about this differently? So it's been a great experience. And mm -hmm. I don't think our work is done. It's just evolving into the next thing. So. I definitely would say it's evolving and it has to evolve. I think that is one of the most phenomenal spaces for women to be able to share. And when you mentioned the initiation of uh, information, you know, right after George Floyd, I can imagine how powerful yeah those conversations were in the room, right? And how significant those tears were that yeah. were shared. I, I think uh, once that took place, a lot of organizations, you know, just kind of expect for you to just keep moving. And keep going, keep moving. And yeah. I think from my experience, I literally was on lunch break when I saw the video mm -hmm. and I had a call after. It's like, uh -huh. how do you pull yourself together yeah. and adjust to still perform? And will someone talk about. And I think at that time I had a, um, a leader, a black male leader, and he actually held a space for us to have the conversation. I just thought that was just 
it was, I think, caring on another level um, yeah. that I've never seen leadership do before. So yeah. having spaces for these hundreds of women to come and share their stories about their microaggressions yeah. and what that was like for them, I think is just so significant. But I can only imagine now that they've returned back to work after yeah. two years of having a little bit of some relief, but not much if they were yeah. you know, virtual, um, what that is like for them now to enter into that space again. And then- yeah. It's been mixed. I mean, there there are what some women shared with us. It's sad for us to be retiring kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, the container. At the same time, a lot of the feedback has been amazingly positive that it was so special. We had conversations, for example, about what it means to be a woman of color with Mm -hmm. some women who call themselves white passing, right? And and really struggle with the term women of color, you know, in Mm -hmm. that in that conversation. We had conversations after Naomi Osaka retired, like, does that give us all permission to, you know, take care of ourselves? So it was just like these conversations that I think we all think about. But I've mm-hmm. never seen women come together and have. And so no. it just felt really special and really important. Definitely special, right? Because those may be conversations that you may have if you have a sister or, yes. you know, family. Or girlfriends, right? Like, yeah. Share with, like, this is my experience today. Yep. You may unpack that then and that moment with whomever that individual is. And then, hey, I got to return and get right back to it. Can't let the troubles of the world, right? Slow you down from how you're supposed to show up. Um, could you share with us what... What is showing up as you look like for women of color? And then the second part of that is how do we bring our whole self to the office or even remote? Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people talk about whole selves or authenticity, and I don't think we unpack it enough because, you know, just to be super direct, I don't think you can bring all of yourself to work at all moments and all ways, mm-hmm. right? And so when I work with women of color, what I end up finding is it's about a dozen things for most women that really define who they are. And they're going to be different for you than they are for me, Right. But there's, if you do the work, you figure out there's like a roughly a half a dozen to a dozen things. Like, so I remember when I made partner, I wrote a list of the, the ways I wanted to show up and, you know, other people may have this one they might not, but I used to have to do calls on weekends all the time when I was coming mm-hmm. up in the firm, like partners would always do Saturday morning calls. And I was single for most of my career. And I remember just thinking like, my weekends are going to be like my time. <laughs> like there, you know, let's see, if I'm going to ever meet somebody, I need weekend time, right? To go to the gym right. or do okay. go to the grocery store, whatever people did back then. To I, I can yourself. agree. I can agree. Right. And so I wrote on my list of 12 things, like I am not going to host a Saturday call. And I never did, but it was very conscious. And it's a small thing, but that was part of like what was really important to me as how I wanted to lead. And what I find for most women, it's like, I want to talk about my children at work, or I want to wear my natural hair, or I want to, you know, um, leave at five o'clock because I want to go to coach my, you know, kids basketball game, right? And that's really part of my identity. Like coach is an important part of what I am and who I am. And so it's figuring out those things and then finding ways to negotiate those things at work or not give on those things. But the things that aren't as important to you, you can maybe, you know, give on a little bit. It's figuring out what that is. And it's about boundary setting. I think that's what being authentic is about. It's figuring out what you're not going to compromise on and standing true to those things. I call it shedding and caring, shedding messages or shedding things that don't matter so much and caring for the things that really make you who you are and owning those things. Because if you start to compromise on those small things over time, they add up to become big things. So it's really figuring out what those things are. But a lot of us just walk around saying like, I can or can't be authentic at work without really unpacking what does it really mean even at this company in this space? Mm-hmm. I think that's, oh my gosh, you're touching so many things, right? <laughs> Not being able to show up at your whole self. And as you mentioned, like the small things that essentially starts to take away from who you are. Yeah. Um, something as simple, I use myself, for example, as my name, right? Mm-hmm. Shanisha. But when I, you know, when I get on the call, 
everyone may not be able to pronounce my name. So mm -hmm. to just avoid the awkward conversation at the beginning of the call, let me give you something a little bit shorter that you may be yep. able to pronounce. Yep. And that name carried with me right throughout the organization. So it even got to the point where I did the interview and the hiring manager called my previous manager to ask about me. And he mentioned my real name, Shanisha. And my manager had no clue who he was talking about, right? Wow. <laughs> because I had switched my name to something smaller that was easier for people to tolerate and accept. And it, it slowly started to kind of take away from who you are as a person yep. to show up as yourself. And even from like, as you mentioned, wearing your natural hair to work, whether mm -hmm. if you want to wear it curly or kinky or straight or whatever that may look like, or if you want to switch it up from time to time, right? And I think that could be a little hard for some of our colleagues to take in. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think I've had conversations or someone's had a conversation with me like, oh, I didn't recognize you. Your hair is different today. Or every time I see you, your hair is different. Yes. You know, <laughs> kind of taking out, what's that supposed to mean? Yeah. I barely even see you. So what's that supposed to yeah. mean We're virtually? Um, but just having some of those conversations or hearing some of those microaggressions, I think can kind of take away from who we are. And as you mentioned, we may not ever be able to show up as our whole self to work, right? You may not mention anything about your partner or if you want to talk yeah. about your dog because you're single, you can't really quite join in the conversation about yeah children if you don't have children so it's like okay well how do I fit into these spaces but still hold the true essence of myself and I think it goes even a little deeper to ask well is this organization really for me yep if they can't really accept all of me absolutely and I, I think well, I think that's the struggle for most people by the way like I think that's what mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out I'm not sure I can be myself here but when mm -hmm. I push sometimes I don't know that we've even tried or like really tried to set those boundaries and so what I try and encourage women of color to do is like, there's going to be places where you know you have to leave and I don't want you to keep trying, right? But you need to at least try and figure it out first and not just assume. And sometimes people will make space for you, but you almost have to take up space before they'll make space for you. Oh, and that's, that's yes. true. That's very, very true. So how, how would you say women of color should or how could they navigate microaggressions in the workplace? Yeah, I, I love this example. And I, I came up with it only because I felt like I, it was coming up so often. I think so often we don't practice what we need to say in the moment. Like we've been taught, like in, I have a whole chapter in the book around research where we've been taught, go along to get along, right? Don't rock the right. boat. Be nice, be kind. You don't have to work twice as hard as everyone else. Like all these messages we heard growing up. And for a lot of the women of color I interview, they've been told like, you should just be grateful, right? For even being in the room or having the seat. And so they don't often know in situations of microaggression, or let's be honest, racism, what to do or what to say, because they're worried about being polite. Mm -hmm. And so I tell women, and I started to do it myself, because I always get, you look too young, right? Yeah. When did you come to this country, even though I was born here? And my 13 letter long last name. So similar to you, it's always like, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. And so I started to write out what I was going to say and then practice saying it. And I ended up meeting a young woman. So I want to say she was 22 or 23. And she said, Deepa, your name's not that hard. People have learned how to say Arnold Schwarzenegger's name. They can learn how to say your name. And so I started using that. So it became one of my responses. And then you have to practice saying it too. Because in the moment of microaggression or racism, we get really shameful. Like the shame turns mm -hmm. on ourselves and we get really yeah. quiet a lot of the time. And so practicing those responses out loud. And so it's about boundary setting you, again, but it's some of this is practice. I'm not saying all of it is, mm -hmm. but it's like we haven't been taught 
how you can hold your own, how you can be authentic, how you can say no to people and how you can push back and say that's not acceptable. But there are ways to do it in the work context as well. And I think we're sometimes better at doing it out in the public. Like if we get cut off in line at the grocery store, someone's, we don't think about doing it at work. And so I think it's practicing those kinds of responses, not just writing it out, but literally practicing. And so I tell women or people listening, you kind of, if you think back, know for the last six months, these are the things that have come up for you a couple of times Mm -hmm. and just spend a half an hour. What do you wish you had said? And then practice saying it. And then next time it comes up, know that that's what you're going to say. I think that's so true because in those moments, like you said, if we're outside of work, it's all good. Yeah. Right. Really good at it. Okay. This is where I get my check. This is where I get my benefits. Do I really want to challenge the status quo in this moment and disrupt everything? Right. And then I think even for, um, as you mentioned, for women of color, most times you don't want to be perceived as the angry whatever person, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, okay, well, I have to adjust my face. If you're virtual remote, turn your camera off. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> don't even want to be offended if, you know, you kind of have the facial, you know, the eyes and however, and, and people can perceive it the wrong way. But it's like, okay, no, like this is, this is not, not okay. If this was done to you, how would you feel? But of course, in that moment, we never, you know, kind of take that into account. And then thinking of what to say, I think most times we'll just opt for silence and then have that special moment later with someone else to share that we can trust a safe place um, to let those things out or release. So it's definitely, it's different. Yeah. And you even started with this. Like, I think the other thing to understand is research suggests we hold on to negative comments four times as long as positive comments. And as women of color, if we don't say something in the moment, we'll spend the entire next two days wondering, why didn't I say something? If we do say something, we'll start to pick apart what we said. And so it's really normal. And so just getting really comfortable how you can, um, you know, how you can respond so you don't get in that moment and get caught flat footed, I think is just a really, it's a power play. And it's a way that we can, you know, all, all my work is about taking our power back. So in those moments, it doesn't feel like it's taken from us. And I think even for someone, uh, our listeners listening in to think, okay, well, how do I practice? How do I prepare? Do I really want to write out these situations? No, you really may want yeah. to, because as you mentioned, this, these things have occurred before. This is the first yes. time you've heard it. It won't be the last time you'll hear it, right? And then just being prepared in those moments. Because as I was going to ask for our next question is like for women of color, is it our responsibility to coach our peers concerning microaggressions? Like, hi, whoever, you know, what you said and then so on and so forth. Like, how do we coach them? Is it our responsibility to even do so? Many of the organizations have, started the push quote unquote to increase diversity right and then to increase minority marginalized people or women of color uh in their organizations so is it the organization's responsibility is our colleagues responsibility is it our responsibility to help coach through microaggressions like what what are your thoughts there yeah i so first of all i don't feel like it's the woman of color's responsibility at the same time i i've just worked with enough women of color that in that moment we end up feeling not so great about ourselves and so I want us to be prepared, but I think there'll be, there's going to be situations where I may speak up, but there's going to make if that same exact same situation happened a week later. I may not because I don't have the energy that day or it's too much. So I don't think it's our responsibility at the same time, if we can, and we have energy and emotional, you know, um, emotional ability that day to handle it, I think it can help. And so I want to encourage us to do it where we can, but I also don't think it's fair or practical to demand that we do it all the time. So many of the women I work with are traumatized. So they're not in a position to constantly be able to do that. But when they can, 
I think it's an important muscle to flex because it not only helps them in their power, but it can help change things. Because a lot of the time what I find, at least at work, I'm not saying this is true in the world. I think a lot of people just don't know better, right? And mm-hmm. when they know better, they will do better. But it, mm-hmm. it requires, unfortunately, some of us saying something. But I think this is why I call them co-conspirators more than allies, right? I want co-conspirators. If you see something, it has to be your responsibility too. It can't fall always on you and I to fix it because that's too heavy a load. And too often, that's the challenge. Like the research suggests for women of color, we end up playing all these roles we were not hired to do. And it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't get paid for that work. We don't get rewarded for that work. So it has to only be something we take on if we feel like it's our work to do and we have the energy and capacity. I, I think many of us can definitely experience burnout in that space, yeah. emotional burnout, right? Yeah. Because that's a lot to carry uh, within your organization, especially if you are the first in the few or even the only um, one within your organization to navigate that space and still perform. It's like you're defending and you're performing at the same time. That's a tough struggle, especially if you're dealing with those microaggressions on a regular basis. If you have this one colleague that's just, hey, this really just doesn't get it. And many of their colleagues, even that may be on the calls or in person, they may not want to say anything either. They can recognize that this is happening, but feel uncomfortable also. It's a very uncomfortable conversation to have and space to navigate with our colleagues. And I, I personally think many of the organizations could do uh, a better job at having someone come in, coach, workshops, however. When we think about many of the policies and uh, guidelines and recommendations and trainings that are done, and they talk about these situations and how to handle them, it's very few. Yep. It's very few of that training um, included in your quarterly, annual training, or even onboarding. And I think many organizations could make a shift in doing those things. Um, it's, I, I definitely think it could be more of an elevated uh, piece uh, to our organizations for sure. I think we all have parts of it, right? So there's things women of mm-hmm. color can do if they have the ability. I think there's work that co-conspirators or allies need to do because it's their work too. And then to your point, I think there's policy and things companies can do, right? To distribute the work or to you know have responses, not just unconscious bias training, but like real training. Real is helpful. training. I just did a talk last week at a large tech company and I mentioned this, like practice what you're going to say as women of color, but also mm-hmm. practice what, how you're going to intervene as allies or co-conspirators and the company took an action. They sent me a note. We're going to sit and write scripts for like 10 of the things we know come up all the time. For example, right. Women of color being talked over in meetings or having their ideas stolen. They're going to sit and write out like next time that happens, what the entire team can say and do and kind of share that as something that the department uses um, so that, you know, you're not coming up with what to say every by yourself because that can be hard sometimes. So yeah, it's, that's not complicated. That seems like an easy thing that, you know, they could, they could work on over lunch and, and then have everyone use them. So I think, yeah, you're right. Like it, it's everyone's responsibility. And sometimes we just put it back on the woman of color or we just ask her to swallow it. And it's, we're getting to the point where like there's too much to swallow. We can't do it anymore. Definitely can't do it anymore. That's what I, why I mentioned the, Many of the conversations are being had externally and not internally as they should. And I think once you, once those conversations are had internally as uncomfortable as they may, as you mentioned, this organization that's having the write out or the script write out, I think you'll see a spark in performance, allyship, and just really the the work of women of color and colleagues all together, because no one wants to really feel like the lone wolf, right? Or, you know, uh, the random person in the room, you definitely want to feel included and have your thoughts and ideas shared and your voice heard and being recognized, but not recognized in the way where it's uncomfortable, right? And make you kind of feel like you're 
someone out on this Long Island, but actually just having the opportunity to be engaged with the team and everyone really recognize you for you. Yeah. And um, I just want to add on another piece of that. When we talk about a quote, you mentioned part of it earlier, and I've heard it so much growing up, you know, that you have to work twice as hard to be half as good. And guys, I can even say for myself personally, I'm a little guilty of that, right? So going the extra mile of getting my doctorate, right? Then going the extra mile and getting my business degree and taking on all these accolades and acquiring all of these different things, right? And the letters behind my name, because my name is so long and won't fit on the Scantron, right? And asking the teacher, well, what do I do if my name mm-hmm. won't fit? Um, and you and I shared that, by the way. So yes. <laughs> Yes. So I'm wondering, like, you know, what, what do I do in this case if I want to be recognized in this organization and achieve such a high role or just achieve a position that I think I'm worthy of? I have to go the extra mile to do that. So I'm doing twice the work to be recognized as half as good. What are your thoughts concerning that? Yeah. So that was something that I heard from almost every single. So I interviewed 500 women of color in writing the book and have met thousands since. Every single woman of color said that. That's what my parents taught me. You're going to have to work harder in some way, right, to get to the table. And with a Black woman I interviewed, sometimes it was four times as hard, right? So almost every woman of color, it was twice as hard. And with a lot of the women, Black women, it was four times as hard. So there's even some difference in that messaging. But think about what we're telling people. You're having to do four times as much work as the person next to you and get paid the same and do the same. And so I think that's why you're seeing the burnout, the exhaustion, and what, you know, a lot of us are calling trauma. Like, it's a very, like, we don't talk enough, you know, about how that shows up. And one of the biggest findings in in the book research was that one in three women, uh, sorry, two out of three women I interviewed are physically sick. So they have physical manifestations of the stress. So started as small things like adrenal fatigue or headaches, and then all the, all the way to like chronic conditions. And so I think when we don't talk about the four times as hard, what we're not realizing is how taxing that is and what it does to women of color and black women, especially, and what it does physically to them, because that is a hard, you know, level of perfectionism, of um, energy, of angst to carry all the time. And it doesn't seem, like you said, it doesn't go away when you leave work. Like you're always carrying that, that you have to be better and do better. And a lot of the women I interviewed felt like there were always eyes on them. They always had to be perfect too. And so I think it's a very heavy burden to carry. And that's why spaces like information or spaces where we're talking about it is really important. So many other women I interview think it's just them. And when you just have a simple conversation, no, we all feel this way. And I'm going to give back three times of the amount of work and only keep the one person's worth of work. Like that's really freeing, but it's almost like you have to mm-hmm. know that that is true and real and that you're not just making it up in your head. And I, and I think so, because as you're, you're looking around like, okay, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, yeah. but how come I'm not, or how did I get passed up for, but I've yep. done all these things. And, you know, I've went to school and acquired all this debt for, you know, these extra degrees or whatever. I've gotten these certifications, but how come I didn't get it or how come I was second runner up for the role? And I think you mentioned a very good point, the swallowing it, right? The not being able to have the conversation or just kind of withholding it and then just going with the flow of things. I think a lot of women are definitely, women of color are experiencing that burnout. And if you don't have a safe haven and space to share it, then it's like, okay, what else more can I do? So I I definitely encourage um, many of you that are listening, women of color, to find organizations or spaces where you can have that safe space to release um, yes. because there's a lot to carry, and especially um, for Black women of color. I, I did not know that four times is hard. Yeah, four times is pretty stuff. common, yeah. And I would even say like the other thing is the, I also do research on women just in general. I think a lot of us who are first views and onlys 
um, even as women, just we're lonely because we're so busy, right? Trying to get to the seat, keep the seat. And then we're also trying to balance all the plates in our personal life, right? A lot of the women I work with are moms too, right? Just right, trying to make their families work or taking care of elderly parents. And so there's this whole other you know, list of activities. And so they just don't have time for friends, right? Don't have time for spaces where they can build those relationships. They're just really lonely. And so this combination of overwork perfectionism and then loneliness is like the trifecta of why I think this is, we're in this moment where so many women are opting out or saying this is too hard. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. And then when we think about uh, for those who are seeking mental, mental health, yeah, I think that's extremely important too to be able to have that space because like you said, you're balancing so much. And I think for some women and even like myself to take a moment to stop yeah. and really break these things down or unpack all these things. I think for us, we're like, I just don't have time for that. Like I could cry for hours, which is not realistic. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and in moments it's important right? because I think if you don't have the release, right? I mean, what we're talking mm-hmm. about just to get a little bit scientific for a second is like your, your adrenals are on in those situations mm-hmm. where it's heightened stress, you're working harder, you're feeling like you're always being watched. And that leads to the crash because it's fight or flight. That's what's happening right. to a lot of women of color. Mm-hmm. They're always in that like heightened anxiety state. Right. Right. And so if you never so talk about it, if you don't release it, like something's <laughs> chemically going to happen. Something, to your body. Yes. Something chemically is definitely going to happen. I think for many of you, this is why we can't necessarily really relax and just enjoy yeah. things and be in the moment because you're always thinking ahead of the next step or yeah. next move because this is how you've uh, unfortunately have been wired in the workplace and just yeah. in life I think in general so yeah. it's a lot to unpack and I, I think for many of us we just don't want to take the time to do it because like I don't have yeah. the time I have to get to the next thing yes but it will so, catch up with you that's my advice like that's the problem like mm-hmm. so most of the women including myself like part of why I left is because I got really sick uh, it mm-hmm. catches up to you. So the, the longer you're out of alignment, the longer you're not living your purpose, the longer you're not taking care of yourself because you think you're superhuman, which is which is what I did, right? Three cities a week and I don't need to eat or sleep and it'll all, you know, the next run will come and it'll all be taken care of. It does catch up with you. So I think that's a lesson. Like how do we get more women of color to address what they need to address before crisis? That's really what my work is about these days. Oh, it's phenomenal work. And I definitely encourage you to keep going, which I know that you will. You look phenomenal. So I'm glad you're in good health now. But it's definitely some great work that has to continue. Uh, For many of the women who are experiencing burnout at work or have gotten to that place where, hey, I just can't release. It's too much. Right. How do we recognize how do we recognize our value isn't a value to our organization? And how do we progress forward? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to, we'll get to the, you get to the point where you're pushed so hard where you realize like this is costing me, right? And I think we have all grown up in this system, in this culture where we've been taught to sacrifice and you have to trade time with your family or trade your health or trade sanity, right? To get to the next rung. I think what happened with COVID is we started to really look at the, that um, brainwashing differently and realize that that's not true. I also think companies are realizing like if people aren't healthier or, you know, mentally doing well, they're not giving their best to work. So from a company standpoint, it makes sense that you want your employees to be healthy and happy, you know, within reason, Um, you know, meaning we can't have everyone, you know, I don't know, (laughs) drunk at work all the time. Right. I mean, happiness is is like, you know, has to within like a work element or work Mm -hmm. realm. But I think that we like they understand the value of that. But I think as individuals, we also have to start to get to realize like if we're not healthy and happy, like we're not giving ourselves the, you know, the best work experience, we're not thriving, we're not going to be able to stay at the next level, the next promotion after that's not going to come. 
And so it's really understanding like where you are and that um, we are our best selves when we're healthy and whole. And that's really, I think, what we're all striving for. How do we belong and how do we feel whole in the jobs that we have? And how do we also just start to look at success differently? I used to think of success separate from health. And for me now, I realize like health and success are so tied together in a way that I don't think I understood 10 years ago. And I think a lot of us are coming to that understanding and that reality is that like those are not separate topics. And, you know, if we're not feeling good about ourselves and mm-hmm. it's really hard to be happy with our work products. I think that's so true. Uh, I, I remember in my time doing pharmacy school, most of the time they were always tell us, oh, when you look good, you feel good. So, right. And I think that's like embodying mm-hmm. everything, like holistically, like really taking yourself, care of yourself, whether that's meditation time or whether that's time that you spend at the gym or going for a walk or, you know, watching what you eat, what you take in. And then even some of the things that you may intake from social media, uh, just all these things that can shift your perception of yourself, how you think about yourself or how you perceive situations just in totality, your whole, your whole self. So I think it's extremely important. And for many of the women that may not recognize what your value is to take a moment, just as you mentioned, how to write out those those microaggressions. Okay, writing out your value that you bring for yourself, your family, and for your organization to really Mm -hmm. see whether or not this organization really values you and then what you want to do as you progress forward. We've had like such an in-depth conversation. I think there's so much more to unpack. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, So is there anything that we have not touched on that you think as far as women of color showing up as you that you would like to share? You know, I think it's really just about realizing that even the moments where you don't feel like you have power or you can't say no, that you can and figuring out how you do that. You know, like so much about work is about negotiating. And even as women of color, even though we've been told to, you know, say thank you and take everything we're given sometimes taking on more isn't really healthy or happy or the right time for us. And so I think it's sometimes saying that's a great opportunity, but what can I trade or give back? Or I'd love to do that opportunity, but can I do it in two months? Like you also have to be a little bit selfish on what you need at the the moment. So I would just kind Mm -hmm. of remind us that um, as women of color, we have negotiating power um, at all times and all ways. And so much of this is really about how do you push back and set boundaries in a way that's palatable in the work culture that you're in. And again, to your point, like a lot of us don't think about that. We just have been taught yes to everything. And no, there are ways to say no. There are ways to set boundaries. There are ways to push back that work in your favor. But we don't talk about those things enough. I don't. Yeah, I definitely think we don't talk about those things enough or reinforce those things enough to know that that is an option that you have and that you can utilize. (laughs) You definitely can utilize and definitely taking your power back. Are, are there any shout outs that you like to have anyone special or a team that you would like to recognize? Yeah, I'd love to point out two other women that are doing amazing work in the women of color space. So Minda Hartz, which yes, some of your does. listeners may know, she's amazing and has wonderful books in this space and speaks to a lot of the same topics, um, you know, just with different stories and different aspects. And then Ruchika Tulshian, who I think you've also had on, um, did Inclusion on Purpose, right? And it, it's a book uh, more for companies, but uh, mm-hmm. about women of color and what companies can do. And so they're just two women that I just all of us are trying to, you know, make space and tell stories in this space. And we need more, more of us doing that, not less. So I look forward to the next set of books and women talking about this as well. Yes. I would love to see all three of you together for a panel. I think that would be, <laughs> I think that would be a powerhouse. You guys have definitely packed out the place. I, I don't know if there's an arena big enough um, for <laughs> the intake that you guys will have. So, I, I mean, you guys are doing amazing, amazing work. And if you guys have not, please be sure to check out Deepa's book. Um, purchase it. Deepa, can they get the book on Amazon? You can or? get it everywhere. Yes. 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 
the first, the few, and the only, how women of color can redefine power in corporate America. So please make sure that you guys check out that book. I think it, it was a phenomenal read. You guys will enjoy it very much so. Thank so, you. So that's our show. Thank you for joining us on the Living Corporate Podcast. Please be sure to follow Deepa and make sure that you follow us at Living Corporate, our Twitter at Living Corp underscore pod and subscribe to our newsletter through the Living Corporate website. If you have any questions or anything that you'd like us to read on air, please make sure that you email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail. And also, Deepa, would you like to share with our guests how they can contact you and, and, and where could they reach you? Um, LinkedIn. I do a lot of posting there, so that's probably the best place. Um, but I'm everywhere under Deepa Peru. So D-E-E-P-A-P-U-R-U. And I'm in all the places <laughs> that you need to be. <laughs> yes, that you need to be. You guys need to make sure that you guys lock in, tap in, tune in with Deepa. I mean, she's phenomenal. As I mentioned, her, me following her, researching her on YouTube. I'm definitely like a fan. I mean, she's done amazing work. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that's our show. Please make sure again that you follow us and follow Deepa. And if you have any questions, please tune in on the Living Corporate website. And we'll be happy to read those things for you. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Okay, y'all. So, as I said, that episode was personal to me. And I'm so glad um, that we had our guests kind of really touch on some really significant points that I was able to share some input on my significant points about showing up as you. And I hope that you walk away or, you know, tune out of this conversation, tune back in with us again. Uh, But when you tune out of this conversation, that you really take home some points that will encourage you to show up as you. And I just thank you so much for rocking with me and listening to me during this episode. And I hope that you really feel empowered, really feel encouraged, and that you're able to find resources and tools that will be able to help you again, show up as you, show up as your best best self, show up as unapologetically you in the workplace and just in your day to day. We wear so many different hats as women and as women of color. There's so many things and moving parts that we manage, but we do it with grace. And I just thank you guys for listening in to Real Talk Tuesdays. This has been Shanisha. And I'll get it with y'all later. Take care. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.